I think compassion, courage and consolation are one because with compassion, you have that courage. You've got the courage when you walk in and the consolation is the holistic of what you've done. Consolation for the person, the patient or the staff member. Well, if you've done all of that, everyone walks away with a certain consolation inside them. Welcome to Compassion, Courage, Consolation. Voices for St Vincent's during COVID-19. In this podcast, we're talking to people who love St. Vincent's, love our staff and love the service we provide in health and aged care. We're doing this to support our compassion for one another and those we serve, to bolster our courage in this extraordinary time and to provide consolation amidst the challenges we're facing. And whilst prepared for St. Vincent's, we're sharing this series with anyone who might find it helpful. If you're joining us from outside of our services, consider yourself part of the family. You're very welcome indeed. My name is Dan Fleming. I lead Ethics and Formation for St Vincent's and it's a particular delight for me to welcome Sister Kathy Meese, who's a religious sister of charity and who has long been part of the fabric of St Vincent's Ministries, caring for many vulnerable populations through her vocation and leading several significant works in this space, most recently with a special focus on accompanying and caring for those in prison. Kathy, welcome. It's wonderful to talk to you today. Thank you very much, Dan. Kathy, you're known as someone who's on the front line um, in a very real sense, in a mission sense, in terms of always being with the people you love and the people you serve. What's it been like for you these last weeks shifting into a new regime of isolation? Not very easy for an extrovert, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'll I'll be honest with them, when the Prime Minister said, well, one of the radios I was listening to, radio sessions I was listening to, he said the people over 70 should stay at home. Mm. Now that was a lovely word, should, because I walked around with that for about a month. He didn't, sorry, about a week. He didn't say must. <laughs> but then I came to a realisation that I'm well in my 70s and it's not about me and I have to do what I've been asked. So for the last three weeks, I have been in isolation, living at home. And amazingly, I haven't found the days long. I read, I pray, I go for walks. Um, social media is good. Uh, and it's another way of really reflecting too, because you have to face yourself and sit down and have your own company. Mm. So there's been pros and cons, Dan. Mm. It's almost as if we've been forced into the monastic life in certain ways, isn't it? Yes, yes. Kathy, you've spent your life serving vulnerable groups and we noted just as we were preparing this morning that you've been working in the homeless field since 1986 and I mentioned in that introduction too, you now have a special focus in recent years on those in prison and there's a beautiful Sydney Morning Herald profile on you from a couple of years ago which I'll pop up in the episode information for those who are listening and you said these these stunning words I'm not here to judge but love particularly in situations when so many others have walked away and Kathy as the wave of this pandemic has come to our shores in Australia what concerns do you have for those groups who've you've held so preciously and served through your life and ministry with the prison, let me start with the prison, um, the prisoners. When I read that with prisons in isolation, 
over the many, many stories and men I have met and women in prison, the day that they are sentenced, they go into isolation because their world is changed completely. They lose their they lose their own control of their life. They are regulated by times of the days when they can come out of their cells, when they have to go back into their cells. But I'm wondering, perhaps in this time, they could be more isolated than they usually are with lack of visits from their parents, mm. their loved ones. And also I wonder, perhaps they may be in their cells longer than they used to be in, when they had more freedom than they've got today. And that is very hard. I mean, we can ring our family, social media, but they haven't got any of their freedom. Mm -hmm. So I just think it could be very, very hard on the prisoners today with this isolation. Are you in touch with any of them, Cathy, any of those who you'd normally be out there serving? I'm not in touch with the prisoners who are in prison, but I am in touch with about three people, three men who have, who are now outside of prison. One lives on the farm with his parents. Um, I actually went up when he left prison to visit him on the farm. Mm. He loves the farm, so that's his life, and he's coping quite well. Another one was given a unit which he'd never, ever had in his life. He was on the streets at the age of 14, and he's got carers coming in, so his life is quite rich too, and he's got contact with some very, very, very good people who look after mm. him. And another one, I've been amazed at how he's changed his life around and has a partner now and is expecting his first child. Oh, wow. So it's quite contrast to what they lived. I'd like to just give you an example of the third one I spoke about who is expecting his first child. I can remember when he was at St Vincent's Hospital and he was he was um, free prison when I went to this visit. He had a day surgery. And I went to see him um, at two o'clock and he was still in his operation cloak and that and he was wanting his clothes. So I went down and asked could I collect the clothes and the lady downstairs said, all the people who've had day surgery, the clothes will go up at three o'clock. And this was back quarter past two, twenty past two. So I went back up and I said, look, if they're going to send it up soon. And he was adamant that he wanted them straight away. And one of the nurses went down and she got the clothes. And I was thinking to myself, what? You've only got three quarters now. I had a bit of judgment in my mind. So when he got his clothes, I went out and then I went back when he was dressed. And he said to me, I couldn't lie on that bed for the many times I've lied on that bed trained to it. Oh, wow. How simple. And then I understood why he wanted his clothes. It's almost they, they were the, the symbol of the freedom he had reclaimed mm -hmm. and without them the symbol. Yeah, he was in hospital for quite a few months. He was critically ill at one mm -hmm. stage. He like he was going to live. But how simple, how simple. And yet I've never been chained to a bed. Yeah. Cathy, in your vocation in religious life as a sister of charity, following in the footsteps of Mary Aikenhead, you've been led into very hands-on ministries. But that vocation also has a very prayerful and contemplative dimension to the charism in these times of almost monastic isolation as we said before what have you been reflecting on and 
in a sense, what, what reflections have you had that might be helpful for those who are listening to this podcast, our staff and, and others in the community? I have been reflecting on, knowing I was going to speak with you today, on reflecting back on my life and some of the men and the women I've met. It's amazing what does come up. But one of the stories was that um, I was walking along, it used to be a laneway, the street that goes behind to go into the site. And it's just behind, you know, the the uh, way? Oh, yes, yep. Street. Well, that laneway behind there, I was walking along there this day and I saw a man that I knew from Greenvale who was drunk and sitting in the gutter. And in Fitzroy Street, a copper's car picked up, um, stopped. And I knew they were going to come down to him, take him and put him into a cell overnight. So I sat in the gutter with him and the coppers came along with me, along to me and said, do you know him? And I said, yes, I do. Can you make sure he's not going to cause any trouble? Yes, I can. I can do that. So they left me with him and I took him into the way and told David, who was in charge in the way that at that time, David, keep him here because the coppers have been around and I've just saved him. So I went back. He came from Greenvale. So about three weeks after that, I was up at Greenvale talking and I heard behind me someone say to me, thank you for saving me from the coppers. That threw me because I thought he was too drunk even to know who I was. Mm. What am I saying, Dan? I'm saying that there but for the grace of God go I. They've all got a story. Another one I'll tell you where I put a man I was working at in the welfare department at um at Osland House and I had my one of my um parts of my position was I had to replace homeless people back into the community. So this man I used to he was in the Ministry of Housing in Gertrude Street. And I used to go to see him every week just to see if he was okay. He was an alcoholic. And the room was sparse. It just had a table, a bed and a chair. And on the chair, he used to have his cask of wine. And he was a smoker. So I used to go and clean because the smoke, the ash of the uh, cigarettes were always around on this chair. And I didn't like to sit on that because it would get on my dress. So I used to clean the chair, put up his blind, sweep his room. And this day when I went there, I did that and I sat down in the chair and the chair to talk to him and he said, I've got a question. And I said, yes. He said, um, do you come to do my room or to see me? Again, I learned. Mm-hmm. I learned to sit on that chair and listen to him. The little things that I thought I was helping him in cleaning. But he didn't want that. He wanted me to sit there and talk in this. It was really what I wanted to do rather than what he needed. It's remarkable. It's a real reversal of what we might think we're there to do when we're caring, isn't it? Yes. Now, when you use that word reversal, the other day I was reading and I came across this called Reverse Mission. May I read it? Please do, Cathy. I quote, I have become aware that wherever God's spirit is present, there is a reverse mission. The poor have a mission to the rich. The blacks have a mission to the whites. The handicapped have a mission to the normal. The gay people have a mission to the straight. The dying have a mission to the living. Mm. And I wrote a quote under that that I love. When we're with people who need help and compassion, 
listen with the ear of your heart. It's beautiful. And those stories really capture that disposition so well and that humble learning in the presence of these precious people who can so quickly be left on the side of the road um, mm. and yet it's in that pausing that, that we are able to humbly learn uh, from those who we seek to be compassionate to. And in that I think I hear in your stories that in fact what's happening also is that we're being changed um, it's not pouring something into a person who has a lack of something. It's actually a, almost a dialogical thing. Uh, we're entering into vulnerability, co-vulnerability with one another. Definitely. That's another quote I have. When power meets power, it causes conflict. When power meets vulnerability, it causes oppression. When vulnerability meets vulnerability, there is intimacy. Mm, beautiful. And both people are vulnerable. I'm vulnerable because I'm in a situation I don't know. Mm. That person's vulnerable because they don't know me. So you, compassion is really a lot to do with being vulnerable. Yeah, and, and allowing oneself to be vulnerable in the presence of yeah. another. Kathy, yeah. given that the ministry of St. Vincent's is so much a part of your life story, and you've, you've already shared some wonderful, rich stories with us, so far in this episode, is there something else, another story that comes to mind that holds together the themes of the podcast, compassion, courage and consolation? Like at like St. Augustine's ward, it's a, it's a 10 bed ward, so by, you're there for about two or three hours mm. and you let, I let, I let, I let the patient who talks to me I don't ask anything. I don't ask crime. I don't ask anything. I let them lead. I'll give you a good example. I was asked to go back one day to see a man who wanted to see a pastoral care. So I went in. He was partly Aboriginal. He was seriously um, ill with cancer. And when I went to his bed that day, he was sitting on the side of the bed drawing, the most beautiful drawing. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm Sister Kathy from Pastoral Care. He didn't look up at me and he said, I'm an atheist and I didn't ask for pastoral care. <laughs> so I said, Ooh, okay. So I talked to him and he didn't give me eye contact and talked there and then the doctors came, so I had to go. I only saw him each Thursday for three weeks. Um, Sean, who I go to pastoral, go to St. Augustine's with, he asked him, he, he asked, he knew he was dying. So Sean brought the Aboriginal carer in St Vincent's mm -hmm. to up to the ward to talk to him. So we worked out what kind of funeral he wanted and everything. And um, at the end of every session, we shook hands. So three weeks, I could see when I was there the Thursday, the third week, he was not well at all. So when we were leaving, I put my hand out to shake, shake his hand, and he turned it over and kissed my hand. And he died on the Saturday. Mm. So I think that's quite a good story of compassion and consolation because it was, what am I trying to say, Dan? I think you do what you do, but you don't 
realize the effect of what's happening in that person. Mm. Um, we had the state trustees to see whether he could be uh, cremated and he wanted his ashes to be thrown on the St Kilda Pier, from the St Kilda Pier. Mm. About three weeks after he died, I said to Sean, have you heard anything? And he rang the state trustees. Apparently the father was notified, but the father didn't want to have anything to do with his son. But one of his cousins came forward and they buried him. I could go on and on. Yeah, wow. Uh, Again, this this theme is is coming through of becoming vulnerable uh, and giving whatever gifts one has to the other vulnerable person in front of us and then... I mean, really humbly waiting for their response. Uh, So, yeah, it's the opposite of a a kind of power coming in over the top. It's it's an offering of here I am, this is who I am, Um, can I journey with you? And then a patient waiting for whatever... uh, whatever response might come. And I mean, Kathy, it just strikes me so much how, what a gift these stories are, both in terms of your presence to these people, but the way you speak about them is their generous offerings of these gifts to you. Oh, it's a two-way. That's beautiful. Cathy, you've seen your fair share of tough times. What gives you courage to continue and how do you keep up this compassion both for yourself and for others? It's a spirit of God within both, not just a being, that, that spirit of God being present. Um, listening is a wonderful gift, Dan. Real listening, not lecturing, not telling the person what they should be doing, but really listening to what is not said. Listening with the ear of the heart. And when you, when I come home at night, I always, particularly with St. Augustine's Ward, I always had the the sheet with the patient's names on, um, and I reflect on each patient that night. So what I said before, it's a reverse mission. You're working together. That's beautiful. Kathy. as you know, this is being heard by staff from all across St Vincent's in our public hospitals, private hospitals and aged care and, and some in our community too who are joining in for the, the journey what would you like to say to all of our staff in St. Vincent's at this time as they continue this beautiful mission that you've been reflecting on? There are two things, if I may. The first thing I'd like to say to the staff across St. Vincent's, and I'm talking to the doctors, the nurses, the cleaners, all who make up our, our community in St. Vincent's, could I suggest at the end of each day for perhaps 10 minutes, a quarter of an hour to sit in a quiet place, reflect on what did I enjoy today, sit silently and go over the day, what am I not proud of that I did today, maybe I was sharp with some patience in my way I spoke to them, my fellow staff, how can I let that person know that I'm sorry for my behaviour? Sit quietly for a while to see if you have peace and gratitude for all you did that day. Remember, what we do not transform in behaviour, we will transmit. And I would like to say congratulations to all staff at all the 
facilities that are under St Vincent's. For me, when I walk into the public hospital, the one, the atmosphere within that hospital is one of calm, acceptance and care. At the wards, the staff and patients, one, you respect your attitude, your love of the patients is visible. You treat each person holistically, non-judgmentally. Thank you for being you. Sister Kathy Meese, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us all today. Thank you very much, Dan. You've been listening to Compassion, Courage, Consolation. Voices for St Vincent's during COVID-19. This podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music for this podcast comes from Kevin McLeod. His track, Bittersweet, let us in, and you can hear his track, Touching Moments, one now. Kevin's website is incompetech.filmmusic.io, and the music is brought to you under the Creative Commons 4.0 license. All of this information and more is provided in the text accompanying this podcast. Thanks for listening.